Good morning. Our first reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, John chapter 15. And if you're using one of the Bibles we provide, you'll find that on page 902, John chapter 15. We'll begin in verse 26 and actually go into chapter 16, verse 15. But when the Helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Gospel of Christ. And now if you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 8, you'll find that on page 944. Romans chapter 8. We'll begin with verse 31 and go through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure 
that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. Our sermon text from this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, which can be found on page 909 in the Bibles that we provide. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given command to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. We had said these things as they were looking on. He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. I've realized, having gotten to preach a little bit more often, how quick and easy it is to get in trouble up here. Like when John used to say things like, don't send me an email, I thought he was kidding. I thought it was like a joke. If you're not really careful, people will send emails, and I've received some emails. So I want to be very careful right here, okay? I am neither, like, greatly saying this is a good thing or a bad thing. I am Switzerland. I am in the middle on this, okay? Really. Like, I'm not kidding. So I was looking for a Mother's Day card for my wife, and as any lazy person would do, I went on the internet, went to hallmark.com, said they probably have some good selections, probably decently priced, we'll see. When you go on to hallmark.com, there's this thing that says, you know, special occasions, holidays, you click on it. I had no idea how many holidays I'm not celebrating. I had no idea. Just, I mean, just again, for, I'll give you a snapshot, Okay. May 20th, Armed Forces Appreciation Day. Again, for all of you who served in the Armed Forces, thank you. Um, May 25th, you probably missed this one. I'm so sorry. It was National Wine Appreciation Day. So if you missed, I'm sorry. But upcomings you can look forward to, June 2nd, National Donut Day. So be looking for that coming up. And then on June the 8th is National Best Friend Day. And yes, Hallmark has cards for all of these special occasions. Now, I'm not saying that Hallmark is just in some kind of money-making endeavor to try to get us to celebrate more often. I'm not saying that. So much. <laughs> but I am saying, isn't there something interesting in how we're wired and made how much we love to celebrate? We love to have special occasions. We love to gather together. It's wired into who we are. And so much in these frivolous holidays, though I love donuts as much as the next person, sometimes we miss the important days. 
This last Thursday was the day that the church traditionally celebrates the ascension of Jesus Christ. Happens 40 days after his resurrection. Now the truth is, most of us probably don't think much about the ascension, and we probably don't know much about the ascension. At best, it's probably when we confess our faith, we talk about it. He rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We've said that, most of you have said that for most of your lives. But do you have any idea what it means? Do you have any idea what you've affirmed? Do you have any idea what you're saying when you say those words? Or they're up on the screen, or it's something I memorized. So my goal for us this morning is to look back at this moment. And look at it through the disciples' eyes first. I want us, by way of context, to understand what they saw and what they were experiencing, and then to bring it back to ourselves. So what difference should that make? How should the ascension empower and encourage us? And that's where we'll find our sweet three points. But first, by way of of context, let's remember where we are. Jesus died on the cross, rose again from the dead, and he continued over a 40-day period to spend time with his disciples. It says, showed convincing proofs that he was alive, to show them that he had resurrected. And he kind of went from place to place, speaking and encouraging them. But here at this last moment, he's gathered them together. He gives them a charge of encouragement to go and be his witnesses. And then it says he begins to ascend up towards the heavens. And you're saying, okay, very interesting. So what difference does does this really make? I don't understand what's going on, maybe. Why does Jesus decide to do this? Why not just disappear? He's done that before. Rode to Emmaus, speaks to the disciples, reveals himself, poof, he's gone. There's something specific that Jesus wanted his disciples to see, and Jesus wants us to see, or he wouldn't do it this way. And what he wants us to see is understanding exactly what's happening during this moment. He wanted the disciples to understand this was not Jesus is going to disappear for a little while and show up again, but this was the end. This was the end of this chapter of his ministry on earth and the beginning of a new chapter. And it says what he did is he started to rise up and he went into the cloud. Now for us, it's like, okay, still don't understand. To this primarily Jewish audience, they would understand the importance of what the cloud was. In the Old Testament, the cloud was the presence of the Shekinah glory of God. Let me give you some examples. During the Exodus, when God leads the people out of Egypt, he leads them at night by a pillar of fire, but by day of a pillar of cloud, where his presence was, where they took great encouragement from who he was. Then they get over across the river, across the sea, and what happens? Moses goes up on the mountain to get the law from the Lord. What happens? A cloud descends upon the mountain. The presence of the Lord comes to give his law. Then they make out the tent of meeting, and whenever Moses entered into the tent of meeting, a cloud would come, signifying that God's holy presence was among them. When they built the tabernacle, it was filled with this cloud of God's presence. When they built the temple and dedicated, it was filled with the cloud of God's presence. When Jesus went up with his disciples for the transfiguration, the cloud came down to signify God's presence. So for them, this was not a, oh, he went up and I can't see him anymore. They understood Jesus went up, went into a cloud. They realized that where Jesus is now is in the midst of God's presence. 
He has risen. He has been exalted. He is now on his throne as king. And we can understand a little bit of that because Luke finds this event so important. Luke ends his gospel with the ascension, and he begins the book of Acts with the ascension. Matthew doesn't mention it at all. John doesn't mention it at all. Mark gives it part of one verse. Why? Because Luke wants to make a clear line that this is pointing back to Old Testament Scripture, and this is fulfillment. If you know anything about Luke's gospel, one of the consistent themes is calling Jesus the Son of Man. And now his ministry is as the Son of Man. And so this ascension points back to Daniel chapter 7 when the Son of Man rises into the cloud to sit on the throne and that all authority and all power is given to him over the earth. So he wants to make this very clear distinction for his readers, for his audience, and yes, for us. That what the disciples watched and what they saw was Jesus returning to God, returning to the Father, returning to his rightful place in heaven. And we see that it encourages and empowers them. Think about it. Before now, these are the same disciples who couldn't like figure out what to do next. They went back to their old life and went back to fishing until Jesus shows up and encourages them. But now all of a sudden, Mark's gospel tells us that they left that place with great joy, went into the synagogues teaching and preaching. So how do we go from wondering wandering disciples to disciples of worship, to disciples who are empowered, to disciples who are encouraged. How do they find such joy in this? Even before any other time Jesus talks about going away, they're upset, they're sad, they're depressed. But Jesus leaves and their response is joy. So what do they know that we don't know? What did they understand about the ascension that we don't understand. How can they leave that place encouraged and empowered to live out who God has called them to be? So that's where it applies to us. The ascension, basically, there's a lot of reasons, but there's three things I want us to look at this morning that help us to understand what the ascension does for us. First, it gives us a new position. Second, it gives us new promises. And third, it gives us a new power. That because of Jesus rising back up into heaven, sitting at God's right hand, we have these for ourselves. First, let's talk about the new position that we have. If you'll remember from John chapter 20, verse 17, you see Jesus, resurrected Jesus and Mary Magdalene. And she's so excited to see him that she grabs onto him. And Jesus says, don't hold on to me, for I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus, by his ascension, is changing what our understanding of who God is. He's helping us to see a little more clearly what God is really like when he says that he is your father. That there is this loving, tender, caring part of God. In the Old Testament, you didn't find this. Only eight times in the Old Testament is God referred to as father. They didn't understand a concept of God like that. But Jesus is ushering this in and is giving it to us in the ascension. Now, for some of you, when I mention that God is your father, you have really negative connotations about that. Many of you in this place, in this room, did not have a great dad growing up. Didn't have someone who helped you, who loved you, 
who encouraged you, who maybe left you when you were young. And the idea of God being your father is not one of great joy, but of great pain and sorrow. What I want to say to you is that's not the kind of father that God is. God's the kind of father who loves you enough that he would pay any price to gain you. Who cares about you deeply, who loves you, who wants the best for you. Even for those of you who had good fathers. God, as our heavenly father, is better than anything we could ever imagine. He is saying, I am now going to go back to your father and to my father. He's opening this door. He'd already mentioned, he'd called them children of God before. When they prayed, he said, say this, our father. But now it's this idea that it's true and it's sure. And how do we know that? Let's go back to the cloud. Jesus goes up into the cloud and then he disappears. The cloud being God's presence. They can be assured that his sacrifice was acceptable to God. Because no one is allowed in God's presence except those who are holy. So if Jesus goes into God's presence and doesn't come back, they can be assured that his sacrifice on the cross is full payment for their sins. And they have now been made right with God. They are no longer separated from him by their sin. But he draws them in as his children to love them. He is now truly their father. He is truly their Abba because Jesus has ascended. Second, the promises. There's a couple. There's a lot, but I'm only going to focus on a couple. Jesus being ascended into heaven tells us in John chapter 14 that he is preparing a place for us. He said, do you not know that in my Father's house are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you that I may come back and bring you there? That Jesus right now, in heaven, ascended to the Father, is preparing a place for you. The Greek here is not, he's preparing a place for y'all. Like generally, he's preparing a place for you. It is this individual, personal place that God is making for us to come and be with him and God the Father forever. That Jesus is hard at work preparing a place, and you only prepare a place for someone who's coming. So there's a guarantee that he will come back and he will bring us to where he is. But not only is he preparing a place, it says he's interceding for us. What we read in Romans this morning, that he is at the right hand interceding for us. The way Luther puts it is, our prayers are only acceptable through Jesus Christ, and all of them are answered only in him. That we have one who right now sits at the right hand of God, who has God's ear, and who takes our prayers to God the Father, who intercedes on our behalf, who pleads our case because of his finished work on the cross. We have access to God in a way that we've never had before because of Jesus. That he hears us. He answers us and he brings our prayers to our Heavenly Father who longs to give us good gifts. That we no longer have to be worried or concerned that our prayers go and hit the ceiling and go no more, but we have a confidence that Christ himself brings our prayers to God the Father. He intercedes for us. 
So we see we have a new position. We see we have new promises. But we also have a new power. Jesus said it himself. If I don't go away, then the Holy Spirit won't come. The comforter, the counselor won't come and be with you. But because he has gone, he has now given us the Holy Spirit. The same power, the same spirit that Jesus had now dwells in us. And Jesus made crazy statements when he said, you know what, you will do even greater things than I did. And if you're like me and you think about what Jesus has done, I'm like, I can't do any of that. How can I do greater things? The idea is when Jesus came down from heaven, he was fully God, but he was also fully human. And by doing so, he limited himself to time and space. So to be around Jesus, to be blessed by his teaching, to hear his prayers, you had to be where Jesus was in time and space. But now he has ascended into heaven. He is beyond time and space. He can be in all places, everywhere, all at the same time. He can hear all of our prayers if we all prayed at the same time. He is there ready for us. And he has gone from God with us to God in us. He has gone from Emmanuel to having the Holy Spirit dwell in us as a temple for the Holy Spirit. And the way that Augustine put it, he said that we looked up and we saw that you had ascended and we were grieved until we turned our hearts and realized that you were there. That God now resides within us. The Holy Spirit now lives within us within us. And the scary part of that is the same power that Jesus had, we have. The same power that allowed Jesus to withstand the temptation for 40 days in the wilderness is in us. The same power that raised Lazarus from the dead is within us. The same one who did miracles and cast out demons and healed lepers, that power is now in us if we are in Christ. We are filled with that Holy Spirit. We, all the excuses that you and I might come up with about how God can't use me. I mean, I know my sin. I know my failings. I know my faults. There's no way God can use me. Jesus blows all those out of the water when he ascended and he gave us his Holy Spirit. And he gave it to us that we might be comforted that we might be encouraged, that we might be able to understand God's word, that we might be able to know God's will, that we might be able to proclaim boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has given us that power and sent us out as his disciples, as his witnesses. So what difference does that really make that I've got this new position, I've got these new promises, and I've got this new power. Just to keep the streak going, four weeks in a row on movie quotes for today. The movie Blood Diamond, I'm, I'm not going to recommend it to you because if you don't like violence and you don't like really bad language, this is probably not the movie for you. You're saying, why would you even mention it in the pulpit on Sunday morning? Yes, I get that. This is the story um, it's a very pretty accurate depiction of what goes on in African nations that are torn by war um, over fighting over diamonds and other resources. And it is graphic, but it is pretty true to the stories that you hear. 
And it goes around this, this family, Solomon Vandy and his family. They're living in a regular old village out in the middle of nowhere. And this group called RUF, not RUF on UT's campus before you guys, before I get letters on that. No, this was the, it was a rebel fighting force. It was a rebel army. And what they would do was they would enter into villages. They would kill the men. They would take the children and they would turn them into child soldiers. They would brainwash them. They would make them do terrible and awful things so they would be loyal only to the army. And this is what happens. Rather than killing Solomon, they end up taking him, making him to live in the mines, the kind of mine for the diamonds. Short version, super long movie. We get to the point where Solomon finds the rest of his family but realizes that his son has been taken and that they have him, and he knows what that means. And so the rest of the movie is him doing whatever it takes crisscrossing Africa to find his son. And they get to the point where he finds him, he frees him, and this kind of main point of the movie, he stands there before his son, and his son has a gun pointed at his head. And he looks at him, he knows what he's done, he knows what's happened in his life. And he speaks truth. He says, you are Dia Vandy of the strong Mindy tribe. You're a good boy who loves soccer and school. Your mom loves you so much and she waits for you by the fire cooking plantains with your daughter and the baby. The cows wait for you, as does Babu, the wild dog who minds nobody but you. I know they made you do bad things, but you are not a bad boy. I am your father, and I love you, and I will bring you home with me, and you will be my son once more. As he says this, you watch as the gun goes down and down and down, and father embraces his son. We have been given these beautiful promises as he was given promises. He says, I will bring you home. You will be my son once again. He gives him that new position. I know that you think you're a bad boy, but you're a good boy. You're my son. And the power of his love is what overcomes all the wickedness and all the evil in his heart. We, because Christ has ascended, we have been given a new position as his children who he dearly loves. And he would do whatever it takes, whatever it costs, to come and to bring us to him. And he gives us promises that this world is not the end, that we have some hope that awaits us in heaven. And he has given us his spirit that we may go forth and proclaim the gospel with power because we have the Holy Spirit within us. Let us live as people who understand our identity and understand the power that we have for Christ's glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you what it means for us that you have ascended, that you right now sit at the right hand of God the Father, that you are executing all of his righteous rule on the earth. And you are leading us to a place when you will redeem all of creation. Lord, you have started something new and that we long 
and await for you to return. And we know that you will because you promise you will. But as we wait, you have empowered us by your Holy Spirit that we might be your people, your witnesses, your disciples, your ambassadors wherever we go. Let us trust in that power, remembering that we are your children who you love so much that you are willing to give your only son, Jesus Christ, for. Father, we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.